everybody, and welcome back to the Sweet Tea Series. Your host looks a little bit different today. My name is Britt Allen, and I am the Digital Marketing Manager for Right on Crime, which is an initiative here at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. And I am so excited to be joined by one of my favorite people here at the foundation, Miss Celine Rodriguez. Hi, Britt. Hi, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Um, I'm a little tired and hot, but it's okay. It's just another day in this beautiful state. It's another day in Texas. God bless Texas, <laughs> even when it is a million degrees. Yeah. Um, Celine, if for some reason someone doesn't know who you are and what you do, could you just introduce yourself? Who are you and what do you do here? So my name is Celine Rodriguez. I am the Assistant Director of Federal Affairs here at, the, at TPPF. So I started as an intern, um, came on shortly afterwards as a policy scholar, then moved up to policy analyst and then my current position, which I love, by the way. I've been with the foundation a little over two years. Before that, I had various jobs focused on raising my kids, which mm -hmm. were only two at the time, but mm -hmm. now there's three. Um, and before that, I served in the Marine Corps. Wow. And I am married to an incredible man who works very hard in the Texas oil fields. Oh, that's amazing. God bless him. We love our husbands, <laughs> don't we? <laughs> We try to. We try to. <laughs> um, so um, I know that you work really closely with States Trust. Could you tell me just a little bit more about what States Trust is if people aren't familiar with it? So, and a lot of people aren't, so that's a great question. States Trust is our federal initiative. It's kind of some people that we implanted in the bureaucracy of Washington, D.C., right there next to the Capitol. And we try to keep our Congress, you know, our legislators up there accountable to making sure that states are protected, that states' mm -hmm. rights are protected. So mm -hmm. we've got a great team up there. They advocate for states' rights, making sure that legislation um, sounds like I'm saying states a lot, but, you know, <laughs> uh, legislation throughout various states is being heard and respected at mm. the federal level, That's which awesome. is something a lot of people don't consider when you're a state-based think tank. Right. You kind of only have the perspective of your state, yeah. but you have to make sure that the federal government is respecting that and mm. following within constitutional bounds. Yeah, preach it. That's amazing. <laughs> so when it comes to your background, will you tell us a little bit about where you're from, you know, how you grew up, but then also like how did you find your way into the policy world? Yeah, so I grew up in Delrio, Texas. When I was eight years old, I decided I was gonna join the Marine Corps. Mm. And I just kind of never changed my mind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, the biggest battle growing up was, am I gonna go to college and get commissioned or mm -hmm. am I just gonna enlist? Right. So on my 17th birthday, God bless my parents, I came home <laughs> from basketball practice, I think, and there was two Marine recruiters in my wow. living room. And my stepdad looked at me and he said, we know you really wanna do this. Um, we'd rather you do it with our support. Wow. Then feeling like we're like we're not behind you, uh -huh. basically. So I went straight to the recruiter's office that day. I enlisted on my 17th birthday. I spent my senior year in the delayed entry program. Mm -hmm. I left a week after boot camp. And throughout that whole time, I knew I wanted to go into policy. Mm -hmm. I wasn't quite sure how. Um, I didn't know if I wanted to be a politician. And now that I work in policy, I don't think I want to be a politician. <laughs> I think I'm where I'm meant to be. I think that's the general <laughs> consensus of about everybody in this building, too. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're kind of like, oh, don't really get a lot done there. It's harder to get things done. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so after the Marine Corps, I decided to use my education benefits. Uh, we moved up to the Austin area because mm -hmm. my husband got a job up here. I went to Texas State University and I learned about the political science department and I decided let's go with that. Yeah. Um, I ended up getting my degree and now I'm graduating in December with my master's degree in wow. political science. Um, thank God for TPPF mm -hmm. and shameless plug for Jason Isaac <laughs> because he found me at the county GOP wow. that I was volunteering at and was like, if you want to help, I need help. Wow. So he brought me here as an intern mm. and I just kind of stuck around. 
Uh, You can't get rid of me easy here. I really love it. (laughs) (laughs) And thank goodness that we can't because the work that you do here is just so incredible. Like, I'm just so excited to be able to talk to you and all the work that you do. But I didn't realize that it was Jason Isaac that brought you over. So that's incredible. um, I I emailed Carrie, Carrie Isaac, his Mm -hmm. wife, who was campaigning at the time. She hadn't been elected yet. And I just said, I need some volunteer hours for graduate school. I'm Mm -hmm. happy. You know, if you need help with anything, I'm happy to help. Mm -hmm. And she bounced that to Jason. And he called me and he said, I I know you. I think I like (laughs) you. What can you do? Do you want to help me? Like, I know your husband's in the oil field. Awesome. And I said, yeah, I'll do whatever it takes to protect his job. So... (laughs) That's great. So I want to go backwards a little bit to Mm -hmm. the Marine Corps. So you said from a very early age that you knew you wanted to enlist. Can you tell what was it that made you want to be in the Marine Corps? And can you tell me a little bit more about your time there? So it sounds really cheesy. I get that. But I became very patriotic at a very young age. I remember 9-11. I was in second grade, but I remember very vividly. um, I was homesick and I remember my grandma turning on the news and just kind of falling into a puddle Mm. of just tears. And over the course of the next few months, you know, I was learning what was happening at a really young age. But what I saw was this country come together Mm. in such an impactful way. And that hit me. Like, uh, I would hear, like I said, it's cheesy, but I would hear Lee Greenwood's God Bless the USA. And I would tear up as a kid. And I, like, I love this country. Mm. I want to serve this country. I didn't know about the Marine Corps. Um, I went to an army base when I was very young. Mm -hmm. And I saw Marines in their dress blues. And I was Mm -hmm. like, Mom, what is that? That's what I want to do. Yeah. And she's like, oh, that's the Marine Corps. So instantly I was like, tell me everything about the Marine Corps. Um, I learned about them, quickly realized they are the best. And Mm. um, from a young age, I was very much, if you're going to do something, do it all the way or don't do it at all. Wow. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I I enlisted and I loved my time in the Marine Corps. I was an Mm. 0231 intelligence specialist. Wow. So I went to the Navy Marine Corps Intelligence Training Center in Damneck, Virginia. And then I spent the entirety of my enlistment on Camp Pendleton, California. Wow. So what I heard there is that you saw the outfits and you were like, that's what I need to be a part of. Yeah, that's a good thing to catch. Yeah, Yeah, 100%. So um, one of the other things I really, really admire about you specifically is that not too long ago, you were not only raising two children, but you were pregnant with your third. You were studying for your master's degree and you were handling all of your work here. Yeah. First off, are you okay? No. (laughs) Second off, how did you do it? Like, how do you balance all of that? It seems like you're just excelling so well at home as well as here at work, clearly. So tell me a little bit about what that was like to be juggling all of it at once. Um, This also is going to probably anger some women in the audience, but I had a really supportive partner. Mm. Um, My husband is incredible. He gave me so much grace when I needed it the most. when I said, hey, I think I just want to go to school right now. He said, mm-hmm. all right, I'll work. You go to wow. school. Um, and I was able to focus on being home with my kids and finishing school. And then when it came to finding a job, that was really hard. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think I applied for over 50 jobs mm-hmm. over a couple of years. I worked as a pizza delivery driver um, while I was going for my undergrad. Mm-hmm. And I just remember a lot of times I didn't think I could do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of days I probably didn't, but that's okay. <laughs> um, so I guess... I just did it with a lot of prayer. Yeah. My faith is the ultimate number one thing Mm -hmm. to me in my foundation. Um, A lot of trusting God and giving myself grace Mm. and leaning on my partner, on my husband. Yeah. When I really needed that extra support and letting him kind of pick up the slack and Mm. know that I don't have to do it all. But what I do do, I can give my best at doing. Yeah. 
That is so good, especially now I feel like in this cultural of the feminism that's mm -hmm. I mean, it's permeated everywhere. And I yeah. know we even feel it on the conservative side sometimes to hear someone say like, it's OK to ask for help <laughs> and to receive help. And there's nothing wrong with that. That is just so refreshing to hear and so different from what society is telling us right now. Yeah. Amazing. So I want to take that and move into our segment of the policy pulse. Now, I know that you are extremely, extremely integrated with our work here at the southern border. So I want to go over a couple of stats that you sent me and um, get your pulse on it. So. <laughs> So you sent me that just this past Labor Day weekend at the Rio Grande Valley alone, we had 6,038 migrant apprehensions. We had 172 gotaways, 19 human smuggling cases, 23 human smugglers captured, 10 narcotic seizures. Yeah. And I want to reiterate, this is just at the Rio Grande Valley just this weekend. We're not even talking about the rest of the border. Um, so we don't with, have time to talk about the rest of the No, <laughs> we'd be here all week. Um, but Celine, break this down for me. Like, what, what does all this mean and what is the state of the border crisis here in Texas? Yeah, so um, I'll backtrack on that. Like I said, I'm from Del Rio. Mm. And before these last few years, when people say, oh, where are you from? I say, Del Rio. Okay, I don't know what that is, but okay. Right. And now I say, oh, I'm from Del Rio. And it's like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> like, everybody how knows. How are you? Um the state of the border right now is we have an administration that says the border's closed. Mm. Uh, our policies are working. Everything's fine. That's not the that's not the truth. Mm -hmm. These policies have effectively created an open border and the transnational criminal organizations are in control. Mm -hmm. They control, you know, most, if not everything, of what comes across from Mexico into Texas. And my own hometown we had the haitian crisis mm -hmm. in 2021 and that's wow. kind of where everything kicked off in in del rio what's funny though and when you see those stats everybody thinks oh it's just asylum seekers it's not and even when we had that haitian crisis mm -hmm. the majority of them did not come straight from haiti mm -hmm. they don't come straight from their home country they live in other countries um and then they spend five to seven years in places like Colombia or Peru, and then they come here because they hear it's easy. Right. So that's where we're at right now. Um, those numbers are staggering. They're mm -hmm. awful. But like you said, that's one sector, mm -hmm. one weekend. And when you have these border communities like mine and communities in the Rio Grande Valley, they can't sustain this. They right. won't be able to. Mm -hmm. And I love being able to work here at a place like this where we're part of the solution. We're trying to be part of the solution. Right. Um, telling, you know, the governor what we think would work mm -hmm. and seeing him put in place policies that do have a positive impact yeah. and help these communities. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's not pretty down there, but the communities are resilient. Yeah. And they're they're doing their best. That's so good. So, I mean, you, like you said, you grew up in a border area. Um, you've been to the border a few times for work, several times probably, and seen a lot. Mm -hmm. I've only been to the border one time for work, and it was actually in Arizona. And um, for me, that was, I didn't come back from that border trip the same person in the sense that you know, we read statistics all day long here at the foundation. And if you're involved in policy work, it's a lot of stats. And that's yeah. really important, right? Because it shows the research is on our side. But it's really easy to forget about the faces and the lives and the individuals right. of people on both sides of the wall who are affected by this. And so for me, when I went down there and I saw it firsthand, like, 
I, w- I was just not okay afterwards. I really, really struggled. So tell me a little bit about like, as you've spent time at the border, what are some of the things that you've seen that has stuck out to you or you know made you think twice about like everything that's happening down there? So I've done, I think six TPPF border mm-hmm. trips with our team down there. Jeez. It, it is different than just going and visiting family, which I do so often right. because you're kind of not paying attention to that mm-hmm. stuff when you're not in work mode. One of the most significant things I saw on our second trip, which was to Del Rio, Mm -hmm. we were at the river at a high crossing area. Mm -hmm. First important thing was that's a spot that my family has fished in for years. Wow. Like just being able to pull up to this private property where they kind of know everybody and you know you can go fish right there in in the Rio Grande, um, which is now like a Fox News hot spot. (laughs) Right. You can kind (laughs) of count that there's always crossings right there. Yeah. So we took the group there. It was covered in clothes backpacks, diapers, baby mm-hmm. food, oh my all of these personal belongings um, that are all soaking wet because mm-hmm. as they come out of the river, they drop everything mm-hmm. and then they go find Border Patrol. Right. Um, but what was crazy, uh, and I'd seen it before, but I think it stuck with me because I was with people who hadn't seen it before, yeah. was there was a smuggler pull up and mm-hmm. one of the DPS officers that was there was like, oh, that's a smuggler. Like, we've mm-hmm. seen that car before. We know who that person is. And he had um, what we believe to be, I don't know, it looked like a mom and three young kids. And they were kind of watching us. We were watching them. We were mm-hmm. with a bunch of National Guard and DPS. Right. And so it was kind of waiting to gauge that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, like you said, it brings the humanity right. to the situation. Uh, yes, this is a crisis for both parties involved. Mm-hmm. But don't take away the humanity from right. it. These are, these are still parents and children and people that really don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it's a crisis that's beyond their control. Yeah. I can't even imagine from your point of view, too, being a mom of yeah. three. And it's like you see yourself in that person. Yeah. And it it just becomes a connection that like that's so much more powerful than just thinking about the number. So, right. I, yeah, that's amazing. You had an op-ed recently posted in the Washington Times. And if you haven't read it, I recommend you read it. You, you can see it on the canon online here as well. Um, but you wrote about how the DOJ demanded that Texas remove the buoy barrier system in the Rio Grande yes. Valley River. Um, tell me a little bit about the buoy barrier. Like, what yeah. are the misconceptions? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Like, let's set the record yeah. straight. And and I'll also add, there's a great video on the TPPF YouTube where mm-hmm. I interviewed uh, former chief of the Border Patrol, Rodney Scott, and yeah. we talk all things buoy barrier. So mm-hmm. that's also a great resource. But it's basically just a thousand feet. It, it sounds like a lot, but it's not when you look at the Rio Grande right. River um, of uh, buoys that are Anchored to the bottom of the river by three thousand mm-hmm. pound acres per uh, anchors per three buoys. Right. So it is not going anywhere. Right. Um, it is built to be moved if need be, mm-hmm. or built to be uh, added onto or taken away from. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be completely removed. It would take about two to three weeks to do that. Mm-hmm. So this barrier was put in place to redirect all of the foot traffic coming across the Rio Grande River mm-hmm. to safe pathways as in ports of entry. Right. Um, l- letting people know, like, you don't have to cross here because there was a huge increase in injuries and deaths for right. people trying to cross the river. And mm-hmm. I grew up swimming there. It is, uh, it's very unpredictable. Sure. While a lot of the water levels are generally low, the current can pick up at any time and that water level will rise very right. quickly. Um, so the governor did a great step forward and Mm -hmm. he said let's do this barrier let's see how it works i've spoken with dps they've said it is working yeah and what's important to know is it's part of a three-layer system Mm -hmm. 
um, at least as far as objects go, you have the barrier, you have the concertina wire, which mm-hmm. is not razor wire, it's concertina wire. And then you have the shipping containers. Mm-hmm. And then you have DPS and National Guard with megaphones and signs saying, do not cross here, right. seek a port of entry. Mm-hmm. So it's not just one thing. It is saving lives. It is making a positive impact. It is showing um, good results. Yeah. And we are working hard to show support to the governor and his team. And mm-hmm. that hearing was absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, there may argument which they said was all about the navigability of the river mm-hmm. i've never seen commercial anything trying to navigate through the real ground in right. that part anyway yeah. in that part of the river um but other than that it was we're making mexico mad um so effectively this case has become the biden administration teaming up with a very corrupt government in mm. mexico against the state of Texas. Wow. And I think it's just kind of time that we all stand up and say no Mm. and protect our sovereignty. It's really interesting that you say that this is actually something that is saving migrant lives. Yeah. Because the way that the the left's you know, media narrative is painting this is that it's like a death trap out right, it's there. Inhumane. Right. It's <laughs> inhumane when in reality, like this is something that's a safeguard for people to be able to cross mm-hmm. safely. Like if we're going to do it, you know, make sure we're not losing as few human lives as right. possible. So and not just yeah. migrants, but also the lives of the law enforcement on the border. Right. Yeah. Uh, we did lose a National Guardsman who was very mm. young, um, who tried to go save people that were drowning and it turned out that they were running drugs and he lost his life you know so we're trying to be as effective as we can in protecting both sides like you said earlier that's I mean that's amazing and thank you for explaining that I mean it's so easy to get caught up in all of the different articles and op-eds that go around but that is just such a (laughs) clear-cut way of explaining this is what it actually is so I mean obviously there's a lot of different misconceptions and narratives when it comes to the southern border especially with all of the different states that it affects so now I think is also a great time. What are some of the misconceptions that you've seen that you would just love to clear up and get the record straight and want people to know if they watch this episode? I think the most important thing would be the people. Mm -hmm. A lot of people who aren't from border states don't they have a big misunderstanding of the people. Right. Uh, yes, it's a predominantly Hispanic community mm-hmm. along these border communities, and a lot of people just assume, oh, they're all liberal Democrats, you right. know, because they're Hispanic and they're on the border. Mm-hmm. That's not the case. When you go down to these communities and you talk to them and you say, hey, how is this affecting your home, yeah. your livelihoods, your businesses, your private property? They're angry. Yeah. They're upset. They want help. Mm-hmm. They want the governor to do something. They want the president to do something. And up north, they're completely oblivious to that. They're like, oh, you're ruining these people's lives Mm -hmm. by taking these measures, these racist, xenophobic measures. And it's like, you can't just yell racist and xenophobic every time something upsets you. Go listen to these people. Go Mm -hmm. talk to them. Go learn from them. They're angry. They want help. Mm -hmm. Um, They're very proud. I'm Hispanic. Mm -hmm. We're we're very cultural people. We're very proud of our heritage. But when we actually learn the policies and what this means or that means, Mm -hmm. for the most part, we are conservative people. And we just need people, you know, like here at TPPF who understand these issues to come tell us what's actually happening. Right. Um, And so that's the biggest misunderstanding, I would say, is people misunderstand the community and the culture. It's really interesting also to hear you say, like, that you're a Hispanic woman Mm -hmm. and, you know, Obviously, the left media is really, really big on identity politics. Yeah. 
And I can just imagine <laughs> being a Hispanic woman who is, you know, doing so much positive work, you mm -hmm. know, to help the policies, to help our southern border. I'm sure you are just getting the brunt end of a lot of that <laughs> identity politics. What is that like for you? Yeah, you know, it's funny when people, when TPPF posts something that I write or mm -hmm. one of my videos, and then there's always, almost always a comment, oh, and look, she's Hispanic or she's Mexican. What a traitor. Or how can wow. she be saying these things? Wow. And, you know, I think because of my culture and because of my heritage, I have a right to stand mm -hmm. up and say no or yes to certain things. Um, it There's always going to be those types of people, but right. I'm secure in who I am. 100%. And everybody else can just pound sand. <laughs> <laughs> Well said. <laughs> and then if, if you know, like our co-host Ariana Silva is also a Hispanic woman. And From she, the border. Yeah. And she deals, I think, with similar types of language being thrown at her. Mm -hmm. What would you say if there are conservative women who are of Hispanic descent or of color who deal with really similar, you know, accusations being thrown their way? I would say, remember that you're not the only one. There's probably another woman around you mm -hmm. in your shoes that wants to say the things that you're saying mm -hmm. and do the things that you're doing. And she needs people like you, like you and mm -hmm. like me to stand up and, and do it yeah. so that that person can get the courage to come out and have her own voice too. Yeah. And if one person doesn't do it, how is everybody else going to get the courage mm. to do it? It's kind of like with masking. If one person stops wearing their mask, other people are going to get the courage right. to stop wearing their masks. <laughs> no, that's so good. I, I love that you said it that way. And um, obviously the southern border is a really heavy topic, but I want to kind of start moving into a different direction. We could talk about, you and I could talk about this forever, and I wish we could. Um, so we're going to move into you our pop another podcast. Yeah. Why not make a part two? Right. <laughs> I'm down for that. So um, we'll move into our pop culture with principles. And we were kind of discussing the different things that we might want to talk about. Uh, one of the things you told me is that you're a big fan of the show Yellowstone. Yeah, I am, too. So obviously, it's been in the news a lot lately with, you know, Kevin Costner's leaving due to I mean, scheduling conflicts, and I think a lot of things going on in his personal life. But tell me about why you love Yellowstone, because I feel like a lot of Texans really resonate with the show and yeah. the popularity to the Western lifestyle. So let's break it down. Well, I actually grew up on a, on a ranch. Um, I grew up oh, in a very lucky. small community, pop probably population 500. Mm -hmm. About another half hour west from there, um, my family runs and works a ranch. Wow. Beautiful ranch right along the Rio Grande River. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lifestyle that you are very blessed to know about if you know about it. Mm. And I think Yellowstone really brought that into so many people's homes. Mm -hmm. um, people that have never experienced this life or people that maybe did in, in one point of time, but work brought them into the city or yeah. like like me you know sure. we want to kind of relive that yeah and the drama's great and yellowstone love the drama <sighs> so you know, good. everybody's killing each other to yep. save the ranch <laughs> um but for me it's like the scenes that get to me the most are where they're doing roundups mm. or just basic ranch work. Yeah. I just feel so like thrilled when I see those scenes. And I think a lot of people, especially in today's day and age, mm -hmm. can appreciate that more. Yeah. And you know what I think is so cool is like Hollywood does a really, really great job of projecting like what it's like to live in L.A. or New York and very right. like concrete jungle <laughs> type of li like everybody lives that way. Yeah. And we just don't like most of us don't live that way no. and live in those types of cities or have that type of lifestyle. And to be able to see 
something come out of Hollywood that, you know, obviously it's very dramatized and obviously the Dutton family do have some questionable morals when it comes to certain <laughs> things. But to see like an accurate representation of like camaraderie and family yeah. loyalty in this Western lifestyle and how there's this sense well, of what it takes honor. to hold on to that lifestyle. Right. Like preserving that lifestyle. Right. That's so good. So I'm so interested. I didn't realize that you grew up on a ranch. Mm -hmm. So would you say that like real life ranching, like what are the parallels between the show and living on a ranch? In my experience, I didn't grow <laughs> up in Montana now, but um, other than killing everybody that threatens you, <laughs> everything else was pretty similar. Okay. Um, you know, like I'm I glad said, that that's one of the things that differs. <laughs> yeah. Cattle roundups, mm -hmm. um, kind of those week long trips where you're out there and you're, we're just going to be sleeping on the ground right. for now because we have to protect the cattle. Oh, that's um, so cool. For me, though, my family worked the ranch. So mm -hmm. my grandma and my aunt, mm -hmm. incredible women that mm -hmm. I get so much of my drive from. Yeah. Um, and I'll say their names because they're amazing. My grandma's Lola. My aunt oh. is Allie. They work so hard. And I remember growing up, we'd go out there and they'd just be in the kitchen all day, breakfast, lunch, dinner for mm -hmm. all the cowboys that yeah. are doing Roundup. And they'd come in. And I just had so much respect and gratitude mm -hmm. for that type of lifestyle watching my family provide these meals mm -hmm. and some sense of home to these cowboys that came out here for days at a time yeah so like i said it's it's very similar the work that mm -hmm. you do in trying to preserve all of that that you're putting the work into right so how do you feel about kevin costner leaving the show a little prematurely i think it's gonna I don't want to say ruin the show, but it's going to be really hard to watch without Kevin Costner. Yeah. I, I could totally do without the love interest in the last season. I agree. That was kind of pathetic. Yeah, my, I would agree. Opinion. I could have gone for some. I was digging the, the governor. Yeah. That was a great love interest. Mm -hmm. uh, but to show you how prepared I was for today, I'm wearing my Yellowstone perfume. <laughs> I don't know what it's called because it doesn't say it, but I love it. What's it smell like? Um, not a ranch, <laughs> but you might be grateful for that right now. <laughs> I was going to say, um, I can imagine that like if there's like a men's cologne, maybe it smells like if it was named Rip, it would smell like cattle or something. And I would wear that. <laughs> Honestly, same. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's something to that. I think what else is really cool about the popularity of Yellowstone is, you know, here in Texas, like we do have a certain sense of style, like yeah. clearly. Like we've, she's got her boots on. Boots are, a, you know, a form of heritage for us. Yeah. Our hats, our work jackets, a good pair of jeans. Um, that's just something we've always had. And even as like style ebbs and flows, like those staples in Texas have always remained. And what I think is cool about Yellowstone is it has shifted what fashion looks like even in Thank places God. like New York. Truly, <laughs> it was getting dire out there, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're looking at the runways, you're seeing cowboy boots and everything. Yeah. And I just think that that is so refreshing. Oh, I love it. I actually saw a hashtag once, um, probably like around season two, I think, mm -hmm. um, on, on Facebook, and it was hashtag Beth Dunn earrings. Where do I find them? Because <laughs> Beth Dunn has such a, a unique and distinct style. Yes. Right? But if you if you pay attention, her earrings are always just like the epitome of Montana ranch right. girl. I guess. Right. The, it's the like type very, that gets dressed up anyway. Yeah. Well, it's like the very like Native American influence with the yeah. turquoise yeah. and the stone. And even and, Beth, who's not in that ranch life, yeah. lifestyle, you know, she's the city girl. She's uh, got her degree, comes back just to kind of help run the business of the right. ranch. But her style is so iconic yes. to women. And I love that. Yeah. And mm -hmm. her, her attitude's iconic as well. Questionable yeah. sometimes. 
but still iconic. Yeah. So you watch 1883 and 1923 too. I haven't watched those yet, but like, tell me a little bit about. I know it's on my to do list. It really is. But tell me a little bit about like, does it capture the same ethos as like this, you know, preservation of family and values and things like that? 1883 is how did the Duttons get there, right? right? So it's showing the journey from coming from like the city life, making that Oregon Trail type life that they mm-hmm. had back then, fighting off Indians and diseases right. and the elements of life in the wild, wild west. <laughs> so it, it really gives you a good grasp on why in Yellowstone it's so important to Kevin Costner's character mm-hmm. that they preserve that because that's something that, you know, I think it's James Dutton fights so hard to get yeah. in the first place. and. You can tell that grit mm. in his characters, like, we're not letting this go. Yeah. But a funny note, though, in 1883, the last episode, he gets land that becomes mm-hmm. part of eight, uh, part of the Yellowstone Ranch right. um, from an, an Indian tribe. Mm. And he said the Indian who helps him, the Native American who helps him, says, but in seven generations, my people are going to come to get it back from you. And James actually says, in oh. seven generations, you can have it. And... In in Yellowstone, wow. it is seven generations later. He says, "I'm a seven I'm a seven generation rancher." So it's kind of like if you think about it, is it time mm. to kind of start letting go of little bits of the ranch? Right. What What are you supposed to do? But how are we going to know that if if he's gone? Well, suddenly I have to go and catch up on 1883. <laughs> no, that's that's awesome. And yeah, like I said, I there's just something so cool about Yellowstone bringing like these values that Texans, you know, have held and continue to hold so dear. And this idea of preserving this way of life and our families and our values, to see that be so mainstream. Mm -hmm. I mean, that has to be a win for us when it comes to entertainment. People always make fun of Texans, like, why are you so proud of your history and your heritage? And what's so great about, Mm -hmm. like, why do you love Texas so much? Yeah. Though the the shows are based in Montana and Mm -hmm. all that, I think it really gives you a good grasp of, what you have to go through right. to have this type of lifestyle right. and what it takes to maintain it. Yes. And holding on to that Texas identity, which TPPF does so well. Yeah, it's um, it It's really something to be proud of. Yeah. And so I think Yellowstone, the story, the morals, the ethics behind it, it just mm-hmm. kind of gives the rest of the world and us glimpse into yeah. what that's what that is like yeah i'm not a native texan i'm a california don't come oh, after sorry. me in the comments i know <laughs> i love things about it but i don't miss it um but that was my attitude too when i got here i was just like i don't get it and then a year after living in texas i was like i understand <laughs> like i suddenly get, I need all the cowboy boots <laughs> i need all the cowboy boots like i am so ride or die for texas and it's and you know i didn't i wasn't raised here but it's so funny how even when you live here and you're amongst the culture and the people it is just so easy right. to like get involved and feel like you're a part of something bigger than yourself so and those are the you. types of transplants we want yes <laughs> come one come all yeah. if that's if that's if that's your attitude big right. if um no that's awesome so i want to move into our advice segment, which is where our listeners will submit questions for our guests, all amazing women that are just thriving in work and at home. So um, the first question comes from a listener and she says, a lot of women, particularly conservatives, um, where we do value things like motherhood and family so much above all else, 
sometimes it feels like we can be torn between having to choose between excelling in your career and excelling at home. You know, sometimes the left is so career driven, but also sometimes on the conservative side, we're so big about staying home. So homestead movement. It it is, which (laughs) is great. But what is your best advice for the women who find themselves in the middle and want both? Um, You can have it all. But it's not all going to be pretty, Mm. is my advice. You really have to give yourself grace and know certain limits on Mm -hmm. both ends. I never wanted to be a parent growing up. I Um. wanted to be like that boss, that baddie career woman Mm -hmm. type thing that we see now. I think they're called like corporate baddies or something. (laughs) That was probably my goal, like post-military. Yeah. and then I met my husband, and he was like, no, I want all the kids. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, we'll see. Um, but they grew on me. My yeah. kids grew on me. <laughs> uh, they're great. But I, I didn't want to give up so much of my dreams because right. I had kids. So I just kind of found ways. I found a routine that worked for us, mm-hmm. um, prioritizing family while right. still trying to prioritize your goals can right. be hard but if you kind of find that balance that works for your family mm-hmm. it helps but like i said you have to give yourself grace right and you can do it you yeah. can be that traditional mom wife mm-hmm. who still comes home and makes dinner not every day mm. whoever does it every day like god bless you oh, they deserve a medal <laughs> yeah and you can still get up at 6 a.m to get your family ready and get out the door and have right. a successful day at work yeah it's harder it's tiring but it's rewarding mm-hmm. and it's a beautiful life. Yeah. No, that's so refreshing because, I mean, I don't have kids yet, but that's, I mean, I think that's a conversation for a lot of conservative women who love their job like yeah. we do of like, gosh, we we really want to be able to have a family, but I also really, really want my career. So it's just so inspiring to see somebody like you who truly, truly values being a mother, but also can yeah. still value and make time for your work. Well, groceries are expensive, so... <laughs> Girl, that's a whole when, other when kids conversation. Love fruit, <laughs> yeah, just my kids do. I know, and you got three kids to feed. <laughs> <laughs> so, God bless you for that. And then um, the other question that came in is, you know, it's really easy when you talk about something as heavy as the southern border to feel mm. pessimistic and sad. And and maybe there are a lot of reasons to feel that way, but. Why do you feel optimistic about the state of the southern border? Because, you know, there has to be some indication that we as a state or a nation are kind of moving in the right direction. What do you think about that? Um, Two reasons I feel optimistic. Well, actually make that three. One, my faith, like Mm -hmm. I said. Uh, I know that there are good people working on this, right? And I, I know that if we pray and we do the work, mm-hmm. we can get there. Yeah. But one, two and three would be the people mm-hmm. in those communities. They're not gonna give up. Like I said, they're resilient. Yeah. They are They're gonna continue to be voices and mm-hmm. I will continue to amplify those voices. Mm-hmm. I've got friends and family there. Um, we know people across the entirety of the Texas Southern border. They're not gonna give up. Right. And then the last element is the leaders of Mm -hmm. the state. Governor Abbott is showing that Texas won't give up and we won't back down Mm. and we'll continue to support him in that. And if we have leaders that will show that type of resiliency and effort towards securing the safety of not just this state, but this nation, right? As Texas goes, so goes the nation. Um, Then I know that we're going to be okay. It's going to take a lot of work. Mm. It's going to be a headache for everyone Mm. involved, but we're going to be okay. We just have to keep fighting Mm. for not just those of us on this side of the border, but those who are being smuggled across and end up being trafficked when they're here. Mm -hmm. Um, 
people affected by the drugs coming across, but we're not going to give up. We're not going to be silent. Right. We're going to fight hard. And I love being a part of that fight. Mm, that is so good. And it's so refreshing because like I said, it's so easy to be pessimistic about this because there's a lot to be upset about. And you turn on the news and it's just like, how are we ever going to dig our way out of something yeah. this deep? But to hear that like you know as much as you do and you still find a way to feel positive and feel optimistic and that you still show up to work every single day because you know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, you heard it here first. Like <laughs> this is the place to be. Yeah. So well, I, I think love the that. light at the end of the tunnel is the people that I get to work with to yeah. do this. Right. I mean, just in the border security immigration project alone here, we've got. Right an incredible team. Mm -hmm. And that team is mostly led by women, mm -hmm. which I think is incredible. It's yeah. awesome. It's powerful. And it's not just women who got there for the sake of being a woman. Right. It's women who have put in the work, yeah. and have the passion and have earned those positions. And I'm so proud to be on that team. Yeah. But to know that I get to come here and I get to work with these people who care about what they're doing, mm -hmm. who want to make a difference, that really gives me the drive I need yeah. to know, like I said, we're going to be okay. Yeah. I mean, you girls could run the world with the amount of work that you do. <laughs> I mean, it's us. It's really incredible. Um, and that kind of leads into my last question from a listener from the advice segment is that, you know, she says that the border issue can feel a little bit scary, particularly for women, because it's something that really affects women and children, whether right. you are a migrant crossing or if you are someone here in the United States who, um, you know, your city is being, you know, just overrun with mm -hmm. um, illegal immigration, you know. How can people get involved who want to help in the process, who maybe don't work at a TPPF or don't have a policy background? Like, yeah. what's your advice for someone who wants to help? You don't have to have a degree in policy or political science mm -hmm. to get involved in policy. Mm. Actually, grassroots is the most powerful form of policy at, uh, for advocating for yourself and your communities. Moms, I believe that moms are going to change the scope of this entire nation yeah. because we're angry. We're fed up. Mm. We see what's happening to our kids. We see what's happening to other kids. Yeah. So I think really just figuring out how learning how you can get involved, yeah. how you can advocate for yourself, whether that be writing letters to your representative, calling your representative. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know that you can show up at the Texas Capitol mm -hmm. and walk into a legislator's office. Yeah. People don't know that. Um, and wow. it kind of blows their mind when they realize that they can. Yeah. You have every right, and it's a beautiful freedom in this country and yeah. in this state to walk into any legislator's office and say, I'm so-and-so. This concern means X, Y, Z to me because right. of this. Right. Do it. Yeah. If you can't be here to do it, you can call. You can write letters. You can uh, reach out to people like TPPF and other think tanks and say, hey, these are the issues I have. Yeah. And I've worked the front desk. We get those calls all the time. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we don't ignore them. Yeah. You know, we go we go to the education team. Mm -hmm. We say, hey, there's a lot of parents that really have this concern right. at this school district. Yeah. So if if you have something to say say it. Yeah. Don't hold it down. Don't think nobody's going to listen to me. Somebody's going to listen to you. Yeah. And if you find the right person, they're going to amplify your voice. So yeah. just don't stop screaming mm. your concerns. Um, be loud and be passionate about what you're being loud about mm -hmm. so that you're not just another loud voice in the crowd. Yeah. That's a nice reminder. The government works for us. They're supposed to. They're 
Yeah, if they're supposed to. Um, that's really amazing, Celine. Thank you so much. So just to wrap up our episode, um, what do you, what are the resources for people to keep up with the border crisis or stories and, and stay in the loop about the latest data and news? Yeah, I mean, obviously the website, texaspolicy.com. Um, if you go to initiatives, you can find Secure and Sovereign Texas right mm-hmm. on immigration, though by the time this episode comes out, we'll probably have a different name <laughs> uh, because we are very excited about this, merging into one big campaign. Amazing. Um, So we're kind of going to have our team a little bit more working cohesively, expand on a lot of the policies we do, go to YouTube. Mm -hmm. So many incredible videos. I mean, look at the studio. (laughs) We're doing great things in here when it comes to our video production, our podcast production. So go to TPPF on YouTube, Mm -hmm. texaspolicy.com, on Twitter. You can find all of us on Twitter that Mm -hmm. work on these issues where we're pretty much daily saying, this is what happened today. This is why it matters to you. Um, And we want people to hear that. We want people to have access to that. And we want to help them. Uh, get the information that they need. Yeah, that's great. And then where can people keep up with specifically you and your work? Oh, if you are that bored with your life, <laughs> you can um, follow me on Twitter. I believe it's Mariah underscore Celine mm-hmm. is my username. And that's where I post pretty much everything in relation to this stuff. And Amazing. then obviously for the other nerds in our audience, LinkedIn, <laughs> <laughs> um, you can be found on my Twitter. Awesome. Celine, thank you so much for coming here and talking all about the border and about your life. What thank you do you is amazing. Me. And we're just so thrilled to be able to have you on the team. So thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of the Sweet Tea Series. We will see you all next time. I'm Sherry Sylvester, host of the Ninth in Congress podcast. I've been working at the nexus of politics and public policy my entire career. On Ninth in Congress, I'll be talking about my journey from the progressive left to the conservative right and my past two decades in the Texas Capitol with key policy and political players who have made our state a conservative model for the world. Subscribe now, wherever you get your podcasts.